4: G-A-L-D-E-M G-A-L-D-E-M
5: This song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up With Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour.
6: My name is Niella Arboyne and I'm the life editor at Galdem.
5: And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and long-time contributor at Galdem.
6: Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up.
5: You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Chinnaruri is determined to create
6: determined to discover, and determined to perform. It's a steely passion that has carried through every day of her life. Rachel grew up surrounded by the sounds of modern grime and hip-hop from her brother's room. The swooning joy of Lady Smith, Black as well as the uplifting African gospel and passionate protest music stemming from her parents' lives back in Zimbabwe. These are the sounds that informed her stunning music. 2018 saw her continue to develop her style with the evocative demo, So My Darling, becoming the breakthrough single released at the end of the year. Her stunning second EP, Four Degrees in Winter, is out now.
5: Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's so great to have you. I'm a day one fan. Like original. I was gonna say I feel like we've met, <laughs> but I don't know why I feel like we've met. Okay, so we met once when yeah. we did the we did a Gal Dem event at Second Home. And I had been, like, harassing Liv to book you for stuff because I was just like, we've got to get Rachel, we've gotta, we got to write that Rachel, we've got to do it all. And we met then. But also your mates with Janae, who I used to work My with. My best friend <laughs> in the entire world. Yeah. She is a gem of a human being. So she's always talking about you and hyping you up as well. So I remember once she was like, oh, she didn't know that I knew you, but I've always been you know in your corner I just think you're brilliant and so talented. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Awesome but yeah so I think we chatted a little bit but how are you doing today?
7: Doing good, my voice sounds croaky but I'm actually fine, it's not Covid or anything, I've just been shouting too much when I go to festivals. (laughs) She's been outside. (laughs) I've been outside and I've got a gig tomorrow so after this I'm no more talking until my gig tomorrow
5: that's a perfect time to record a podcast yeah
7: perfect time to record yesterday it would have been way worse So i'm quite happy we're doing this today where's your gig tomorrow i believe tomorrow i am in bristol for dr Doc festival and then sunday i'm in nottingham for another dr Doc festival the gigs are at like 10 in the evening so i have More than enough time to rest my voice. Like the other day I did a gig and I couldn't even talk in the morning. So, and I was fine by the evening. So as long as I do my vocal rest, I will be fine by tomorrow night.
6: (laughs) Is it exciting performing again, being back on stage?
7: 100%. I feel like it's just the energy of being back on stage, seeing people, especially seeing people after I've done this project now. It's just... I think I missed it too much. Well, I clearly did. I've been singing to everyone's gigs and stuff I've gone to. It's the point where I've lost my voice. So, <laughs> so yeah, I just missed it a lot and I'm happy that it's, we're back. We are back. We are back. Yeah, outside. Exactly.
6: <laughs> I wanted to know a bit more about your relationship to music, especially mm. growing up, and what were your sort of... Who were your influences growing up?
7: My influences, I always keep the same three, is Coldplay, Lady Smith, Black Mambazo and Daughter. Because Coldplay, I loved the songwriting. I prefer more simple words, verbiage. Because sometimes if it's a bit too cryptic and poetic, my brain literally can't understand. As beautiful as it sounds, but it's like their one is like very direct to you and so well written. And then Lady Swift, Black Mambazo, I love their harmonies. It's the main thing I love about them. And then Daughter is like the first band that I found that... In an African house, you don't really listen to indie music. And that's the first band I discovered in a genre, which I was like, what on earth is this genre? And a singer that is soft sung, not everyone's like belting and stuff. And that's kind of influenced my choice in when I sing to, you know, keep quieter voice and quieter tone than to be a belty singer. So, yeah, those are my three influences.
5: Oh, Black Girls Unite. Sorry, yes. I was yeah nine. Fully, you're in the right place. <laughs> the, this is your safe. This is your safe space. I was obsessed with Daughter when I was younger as well. Every kid who probably had depression loved Daughter. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> drag me, Rachel. Never dragged myself. I room. was in <laughs> the room. I was in that boat right with
7: you, like oh literally my in my room
5: crying listening oh my
7: God. to Daughter. And your
5: African parents are like, "What are you listening to?" My parents yeah, used they, to drag me for that. <laughs> they did not get it. They're like, yeah. "Ah, ayo.
7: You can't even dance to this one. <laughs> and I was like, it's not about the dancing, Mum. It's about it's the feeling. It's
5: the emotion. It's the emotion. <laughs> I love that so much, and I mean, also it just shows the range. I think because I can hear kind of all of those different influences when I listen to your music. There is like the directness, the immediacy of the Cold Plays, and I love that you reference Lady Black Mombazo. I feel like again, it's this. I don't know, it's like a part of your heritage, right? That Mm -hmm. maybe your friends weren't always listening to along with you. (laughs) Yeah, as a South African, my mum's half
7: South African. And even in Zimbabwe, I wouldn't be able to tell you what artists, but there were plenty of a cappella Southern African music. My mum would always play in the car. And it's kind of, you know, when you're on your long road trips to like Scotland from England, my mum would just only play that. So I don't really have much choice. (laughs) I was just going to say your lyrics always hitting oh, when I first heard. So my darling, I was like,
6: <laughs> okay then, I'm just going to cry. Yeah, <laughs> I can definitely see what you mean by your influences in like Coldplay and that kind of like, say it how it is, lyricism.
5: A story that we hear a lot on Gaudem is, you know, especially not to stereotype, but with a lot of our lovely African guests or people of African heritage, we hear a lot about the struggle with like, getting into creative spaces versus the parentals who aren't always necessarily fully on board from the get-go. So I guess I wanted to hear a bit about your story with kind of getting to a point where you were able to pursue music and what your family's relationship is like with your music now versus how it was maybe when you first started. It was difficult
7: I won't lie I'm the youngest of five and my siblings were kind of raised in the UK but I was the only one born here So because they went to school here and stuff, I guess they understood that, you know, people can go to school to do music and musical theatre and performance stuff. My parents did not get it at all because they came to this country for us to literally be academically educated. So having siblings who understood that, they kind of walked so I could run because when they tried to do creative things, my parents were like, categorical no. But I'm like, maybe my oldest sibling is 15 years older than me. So it was a while before I even went to college and stuff before my older sibling had gone and I think my mum was trying to be understanding but to her being a singer is what you see like Beyonce, multi-millionaires, Rihanna's very successful million pound houses, massive record deals like the Michael Jacksons so she didn't really get what I was trying to do because my music didn't even sound anything like the popular music it was indie And she was just thinking, you probably have no chance with this stuff. So she was just very concerned in that way. And because when I first started, I wasn't earning any money from music, but it was taking up 90% of my life. And I was paying for travel and stuff, but I wasn't earning any money from it. My mum, it's not that she doubted me, but I think she was just worried because all her other kids had stable jobs. And I'm just kind of doing this thing, making these slow, sad indie songs, not getting that many listens and plays. And for like two years, not earning anything. And she was just like, this is ridiculous. You need to have a secure job. You need to go to uni. I didn't go to uni and she didn't know. I just kind of sprung it on her. What do you mean? I went to Brit school and she was like, you can only go to Brit school if you go uni. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then when it was time to apply, I was like, yeah, of course, babe. And then when it was time to apply for uni, I literally just didn't. And then when October came, my mum's like, why is everyone going to uni and you're in bed? And I was like, because I didn't apply. And she was, yeah, she wasn't happy. Sorry, this is youngest child (laughs) privilege. This is youngest child privilege because I literally (laughs) ran to my older sisters like, please, please speak to her, please. And I had to get my managers to come in and speak to her. But yeah, it's definitely some younger child privilege, which I at the time I didn't get. But now I'm like, ooh, I had some. I got away with a lot. My dad, he's the musical side. So my dad was just kind of like, whatever, don't mind. But my mum is more like the leader in the house, I'd say. So she was not impressed, but she was trying to be as supportive as possible on social media and stuff. And then once I started earning money, she was just kind of like, all right, you're doing a great job, goodbye. And then she didn't care. So... (laughs) So, yeah, once I started earning money, she went back to Africa and she was like, you've got a stable career, you do your thing and now everything's fine. So, yeah.
5: Oh, your parents went went back to Zim?
7: Yeah, they went back to Zim. They've been there for like, I want to say two and a half years. Obviously, the pandemic happened, so I think they were planning on coming back. But now it's been over two and a half years. They're very happy in Zim. It's their homeland. Yeah.
5: So So, yeah. Man, I think you're so right. It's like part of it is just... Regardless of like what the job is, it's just that they want you to be safe and secure and have like, you know, be able to build a life for yourself. And that's where the risk comes in. And they're like, nah. Yeah. My Mm -hmm. mum like
7: took a big risk coming to this country and built so much for me to be able to go to university for her to then take care of me for 18 years. And me go, actually, I'm not going. (laughs) So it's kind of like I completely get why she panicked Even though she was panicking and stressing me out sometimes, she would always be like, you know, keep going, work hard. She would listen to my songs and be like, this is what I think, etc. She tried to understand the indie vibe and she's been super supportive in many ways. So shout out to Mumsy, love her loads. (laughs) They come round in the end. They always come round in the end. It's literally from a place of concern, which makes complete sense. There's a million and one kids who are like, I want to be a singer, so... Obviously, she's just concerned for me and would rather me take a safer option. But, you know, I can go to uni at any time. I want to know a bit more
6: about, so, your music. It feels quite filmic in its quality. Mm. Are you inspired by visuals? If so, which ones I see
7: on my TikTok? I think when I make songs, I see them as visuals. Like, any producer I've worked with, especially as of recent the last thing I did, I was like, I want to make a song where if you're about to watch a horror film and there was a dark corridor and then a door opens and a bunch of wild dogs start running towards you and you start running away and then it turns into slow motion. Don't know where I got that from. And I was like, I want the music to represent that very moment when the slow motion starts. And then we made a song. And then once we made the song, they were like, you know what, that actually sounds exactly like the moment you described. So I guess that's how my brain kind of looks at songs, even darker plays. I was kind of like horror film, Plain Jane was like, Black Swan was a big influence for that one. It's just my brain kind of associates imagery and videos with the song. So if I'm not seeing any films or visuals when I'm making the songs, probably not a good song. <laughs>
5: Interesting. And so specific.
7: Yeah. Very strangely specific. <laughs> Very, specific. <yeah. laughs> Very strangely specific. But every time I finished and I think about it, they're like, oh, OK, yep, that sounds exactly yep, like what you were saying.
5: And you've directed a couple or definitely one of your own music videos as well. Right? Yeah,
7: I usually have main influence in all of them, but I like to collaborate with the directors. I'd say the only one I didn't really was Give Me a Reason. I had like a very rough idea, but Robert Keane was like the leader in that one. And I trusted his vision. But Plain Jane, I made a whole treatment. I put all the scenes together. I just asked for like a week to do the entire thing and then gave it to my friend Aaliyah who took it and made it into what Plain Jane is now.
6: As someone who listens to music, the visuals always Mm -hmm. help me understand and get immersed in a song, which I love where we are in music at the moment that that is a thing now like the video is just as important yeah have you got a favorite video that you've worked on?
7: Plain Jane 100% Plain Jane I worked so hard on that video and the choreography and the sheets I had these big yellow sheets that I was like spinning around and they were so heavy and I was sweating so hard but I did it in two takes because it was just like put your heart into it and then you can move on. And I was, yeah, I worked really hard on that video, I won't lie. Five different looks as well, so it was a lot.
5: Girl. We love it. We love to see it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. I think it would be great if we could get into your extract, um, actually. Give us a little bit of background and context for this one.
7: Yeah, so when my grandma passed away when I was 17... In ways, I didn't really get along with my family. I think I was just that younger kid who was just like, forget everyone. And I feel like I was quite different to how my family were. Like culturally, my family are very African, very proud, etc. As much as I'm culturally African, the stuff I was into is very different to them. And my grandma, for some reason, I was just very close to would always try and text her. She loved me so much. and She was really supportive of the music thing from, like, the beginning. So, obviously, when she became ill, I'd never had anyone in my life that died. So, and I'd only had one grandparent my whole life growing up. So, when she started getting ill, she would, like, send me voice notes and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to keep these voice notes forever. And then I think, like, the day after she died, my phone decided to wipe and I just went onto WhatsApp one day and it was just like, you need to re-download the app. And I was like, fuck, I haven't backed it up. And then I re-downloaded the app. Everything was gone. Could get back a lot of things, but her chat was basically completely wiped. And I was trying to get my family to resend me the voice notes, resend me anything they could. And everyone was like, We don't have them. She just sent them directly to you. And it kind of forced me to like move on. Very quickly, but I just remember I cried and cried and cried and cried. And I was trying to get it back for ages. And then one day, when I got a new phone, just this one extract, which I sent you, is the only thing that ever popped back up. And it's not even much, but I've just kept it in my archive WhatsApp forever. And I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. And I don't know, sometimes I just build my WhatsApp and then I just quickly swipe and go back just so I can see it as a reminder of keep going, keep trying. She's watching you somewhere. I know it doesn't really have much relevance to other people, but to me, it's just that one thing which I've always had since 2016, pretty much.
6: I was going to ask, can you describe the screenshot that you have left?
7: So it was when I'd now started doing music as a career. So I'm starting to do photo shoots. I'm starting to do stuff like that. Starting to wear makeup and discover my kind of look. And I remember just sending it to her. And she lived in like, the bush in Zimbabwe so she's not into the western world that much doesn't see much so I would just send her stuff like that send her songs I'd send her lots of things and this is one of my first shoots with a woman called Dola Posh and I sent it to her and it's just the way my grandma would talk it would just be funny because she's just like oh I've seen the pictures it's gogo love you always stay blessed and it's like i was expecting some sort of response from her but the woman she sort of was it was just funny that she would always text me and be like oh by the way it's gogo and i'm like yes and i know it's you so (laughs) so yeah i love and she couldn't really speak english but even though i understand Shona, i was like the only grandkids she would persistently try and speak in english too and i was like you can speak in Shona, gogo it's fine you don't have to always try and speak english so that's her trying to speak english over text message But yeah, just
5: used to always make me laugh. I love it. It literally just feels like exactly the same situation as me in terms of I'm from Malawi, so we're Mm neighbours. We're (laughs) Um, neighbours, yeah. We're neighbour, we're cousins. Proper. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like there's a specific kind of relationship you have with like family, especially when you can't see them and Mm -hmm. you can't be near them. And you kind of have these interactions that you hold really close to you via social media and all this stuff. And it's like, it's not the most natural way to have to interact with, you know, like your 70-year-old Zimbabwean grandma, <laughs> but like people find a way to like connect. And I found mm-hmm. that so beautiful. Yeah. It's like them trying so hard to understand
7: exactly what you're going through. It was, yeah, bless her. She had a wonderful life, loads of grandkids, loads of children, but she was just such a, a character. And considering she was living in Africa, she was so supportive of everyone's choices. I guess that's why we all loved her in many ways. She was kind of like the head of all of us below her. It's got me thinking about my grandma and that it
6: kind of sometimes just skips that generation Mm -hmm. and you have this bond and connection that you just can't even Mm -hmm. explain. But like the way I love my grandma is just like, it makes my heart hurt. Sometimes I can't even call her because I love her so much, which makes no sense.
7: (laughs) You, you better call her. You better um, pick up a
5: phone. I know.
6: I'm like, I'm calling her right yeah, after me. you have to. What was it like when you first kind of like, you kind of talked about it when you first realised those messages and those voice notes had been deleted? And how do you kind of now
7: hold those memories? Oh, I don't know. I feel like that, jails is potentially almost one of the worst days of my life. I really do hold on to things, pictures voice notes, even like me and my boyfriend have been together for like almost five years. Every single chat from the beginning, I have everything. And it's like, I don't know, when that happened, it was kind of like, because she lives in the village, I hadn't seen her for some time. They didn't really have cameras. So the only pictures I really had of us was like me and her as little kids when I was a little kid and she was younger, a couple wedding pictures And then when those digital things, text messages, voice notes and stuff went, it felt like it had erased like six, seven years of information about her and that everything I have before then, I don't even have on record. So it was kind of like she died and took everything with her and it just disappeared and I couldn't listen over things, couldn't nothing at all. And I remember my mum, near the time she was ill, she was like, make sure you save those on your laptop, make sure you do this. And I was like, yeah, i will be fine. And then I, just the next day, my phone just wiped and I just cried and cried. It was awful.
5: But yeah. Man, so heartbreaking. Technology,
7: honestly, I should be seeing WhatsApp for that behaviour because...
5: Honestly. <laughs> I was
7: so angry. I was so angry.
5: Yeah. I've read a lot about, people call it, like, digital hoarding in quotation marks, right? But... At the same time, I'm in exactly the same vein as you where, I don't know, I just like, sometimes I have to like, you know, when the phone's like, oh yeah, you're running out of space again for the 15th time this week, please, can you delete some stuff? And you go through your chats and you're like, but I want to keep everything. Yeah. Like, how do you keep track and keep like, memories of things that are only digital without, you know? Um, I don't. I don't um, <laughs> I literally
7: don't. I have about 30,000 pictures on my phone about... 200 chats which I only use about 10 of them I have a lot going on on my phone and that should probably be enough to show you why I'm such a hoarder had to get the iPhone with the most memory because
5: yeah it was getting (laughs) real bad oh man yeah it's interesting though I don't know I've been trying to think more about like did you have any phase of like going back through stuff and looking at old memories and kind of like traveling back in time because I know that I found myself doing that and like reading old conversations and stuff.
7: Yeah, 100%. In lockdown, I basically kind of had like a big mental breakdown in the middle of lockdown. Felt like I'd lost myself a lot as a person. So yeah, I kind of went on this like mental break. My managers gave me loads of time off and they got me a therapist and I stayed at my manager's house and stuff and he would take me boxing and try out lots of different things and yeah I found myself just going over old pictures old videos old memories I guess in a way to try and find myself again but also looking at kind of the person I'd become and if I was really happy with the person I'd become or the person I was putting forward for myself so yeah I guess I love pictures in that way it's good self-reflection good reminder of certain moments
6: So how do you kind of stay grounded in this industry?
7: My manager is actually my best friend. Her name's Amber Chen. We, she's actually younger than me. We worked in clerks together when we were 16. So she can kind of tell me anything about myself. And now as my manager, she has no fear in telling me to calm the hell down. Like she'll be like, Rachel, no. And because she's my best friend, it's kind of like... Okay, I get it. It's coming from a big place of love, big place of concern. Whenever I'm worried about anything, she calls me, she picks me back up. If I'm getting too above myself, she'll be like, "Nope, this, this, that, that and that. So it's kind of like I have someone who is honest enough and close enough to me to ground me because if it was like a random person who I'm not that close to, I probably will be like, oh, whatever, they don't know me. But my manager literally knows me before I was a musician and was working with her in Clark's, so... Yeah, I'd say my manager, Amber, I love her so much. She grounds me quite a lot and she genuinely loves me so much. So she keeps me grounded and my other managers as well in my team. But I'd say Amber, I've got to give it to her.
5: I think that's amazing. And and it can be rare to find those people or just for the stars to align in that way. Mm -hmm. From when you were kind of first starting out to make music and your grandma was you know hyping you up and encouraging Mm -hmm. you to I guess where you are today and you've kind of been around and been growing and evolving for a few years now how would you say the experience of making music and being in the industry measures up to whatever your expectations were of it before you became an artist?
7: I think my expectation was I'm gonna get robbed by a record label and I just have to accept it My expectation was also there's probably going to be some horrible men who are just going to try and use me in the industry. And I have to be very fortunate that my journey has been the complete opposite. I absolutely love Parlophone. Like My team in Parlophone is one of the, the nicest teams I've ever had. Like It literally shocks me how nice they are. My management team, run by two white men, literally the nicest management team you can get. And then I literally have not been robbed. So I'm like, everything that people are like, you're going to get robbed and this and that and that. And they're going to try and control your creative. I've been in charge of all of my creative. I've been in charge of all of my songs. And yeah, I feel like I had such a negative view on the industry. And it's not to undermine that other people have had that experience. But the path I've been put on and Duncan Ellis, the guy who brought me in, my experience has been nothing but fantastic. So I guess that surprised me, especially as a black woman, that definitely surprised me. No, We love success, not everyday yeah. That's is... Yeah, it's not everyday suffering. I really thought I was going to suffer in this industry and it's just been so good. And I think it's because stuff that men, especially in the industry, used to do, it cannot run in this day and age. The women before us, Walked so that we could run, and they really suffered back then. And now there's so many things in place in institutions, which means it's a lot easier to call out a lot of stuff and people will actually listen to you. Going back to your grandma, what kind
6: of lessons have you learned from her? And I guess in reflection, what ways do you think you're similar?
7: Oh, me and my grandma are very similar. My grandma and my mum are very similar. But then I'd say I'm more similar to my grandma. So it's kind of like the three of us are all similar in ways, but I'm more similar to my grandma. But my mum and grandma are similar in very weird ways. My mum and grandma are people who do not take life seriously at all. They have been through so much. Like, you can go to, like, the bougiest restaurant. My mum be like, where's the discount menu? Where's this? Where's that? She's, like, you know, she's just so playful. And I'm like, oh, it's embarrassing taking pictures and stuff like that she's just literally like a little child and my mum's like she's 58 yeah it's just the playfulness that my grandma and mum had all the way till their later parts in life it's kind of like they're little kids and I kind of noticed that within myself because as much as I'm 22 I feel like a lot of people who are 18 19 20 21 etc they try and grow up really quickly and try and put on this persona of being cool and looking cool and behaving maturely on but I'm just someone who I'm kind of like a little kid like I now have money I have the career that I want I'm heading in the right direction why then suddenly be a miserable bitch when I can literally be a happy girly you know
5: a baby girl my necklace says baby girl I'm all for
7: baby girl like, for the life inner child.
5: <laughs> baby girl for life
7: literally baby girl for life
5: I think we're going to get into our final questions. Which okay. Are...
7: If you see me mute myself, I'm just coughing, sorry.
5: Okay, you're not crying because these questions do sometimes make people cry.
7: Oh, I got myself. <laughs> I'll, I'll cry later. <laughs> I
5: haven't got time to cry now. I'll
7: just cry later.
5: <laughs> Isn't it, That's what therapy's for. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Dion will be
7: hearing from me later. <laughs> All
5: right, so... What advice, I guess, would you give to your younger self who, you know, maybe not the person who you could say, you know, save these conversations, but the person who was kind of searching for these parts of herself and her relationship with her grandmother she'd lost and was kind of a bit heartbroken by what happened. What advice would you give to her?
7: I know it sounds really corny, but you see that thing where it's like, just keep swimming, that thing. That is literally the best advice That everyone needs to take more seriously in this life because you literally just have to keep on going and never undermine yourself. If you know what you want as a person, never undermine yourself and keep pushing. Unfortunately, in life comes death, it's an expectation of everything. And you just have to keep going, push through, know that if the person was still here, they'd want you to still keep doing well. So, yeah, just keep on pushing, pushing through and understand the privileges that the cards of my life has been laid out as. I have cousins in Africa who can't even come to the UK because you know how they are with borders and stuff. And I have an English passport and I can travel anywhere I want. And my mum gave me a very middle-class life because she worked really hard for me. When my grandma before her worked really hard for them and it's kind of where I've come in my life, in the position of my family, I need to remember that I wasn't put here to fail and it would be a disservice to my other family in Africa and other kids who would dream of being in my position to take advantage of that. So to keep swimming, push through, because my other cousins and stuff, they were all going through the same trauma and loss, but in arguably much worse situations than what I was in. I was in the college of my dreams, not being forced to do anything other than make songs. Found management, BBC are playing my songs. It's like, could have been in way worse positions but I wasn't so keeping on keeping on I guess it's advice I'd give my younger self even if it doesn't make sense just keep on going Dory from Finding Nemo had the bars <laughs> they had the bars she did they had the bars
6: for real <laughs> and lastly what would your younger self think of where you are now
7: impossible my younger self would look at me and be like, I can't believe you've done it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> My younger self was literally like, I'm not getting past SoundCloud. And then once I went past SoundCloud, I was like, oh, OK. And then I was like, I'm never getting on the radio. Then I got into the radio, I was like, oh, OK. For example, I got put into the like NME top 100 list or something like that. And the NME then sent me a DM that I'd sent them when I was 16, like, please listen to my songs. And a few years later, now they're posting me on their story on Instagram, like, here you are, we listened, and you're here. I think when I was younger, I was actually like, I could never be in the same spaces or positions as these people. And now I'm, like, going to gigs and seeing, like, the biggest people. Like, I'll be around, like push a T one time and I was just like what? This is my job and I'm doing the same job as this man we're here literally for the same reasons, getting the same food got the same trailer in the back it's just unbelievable so I think my younger self is probably going to be like bloody hell right, you've done alright <laughs> you're doing alright, keep on going, it's only just the beginning right now, when I get to the next level you actually work harder the bigger you get because as soon as you start relaxing, mm-mm career goes down the train so
5: <laughs> <You're too laughs> i know oh my gosh but i think yeah that's, that's such a lovely thought and i think even just to think of like five years down the line from here like what you're going to be thinking of where you are mm-hmm. in five years time i just know you're going to be it'll be the same answer the trajectory is upwards only upwards okay? only exactly yeah well thank you so much that was amazing no thank thanks you so for having much. me this yeah. was fun i had another
7: interview <laughs> yesterday and i was telling the lady how it was such a good interview because it's not like you know the boring the everyday questions which i already have the pre-saved answers in my head mm. and then now <laughs> it's like i've just had another one another interview today which is this like this podcast and i'm like oh this was another good one as well so <laughs> yeah. very happy oh very impressed Oh, thank you. Thank
5: We're you. all on job.
7: Yeah, you're all on job. <laughs> all black women yeah. as well. Yesterday was a black woman I as know. well. So
5: y'all know what you to win. I feel like with Rachel, that conversation just made me want to call my grandma. Like yeah. right now. <laughs> Fully. Just really like
6: brought home that beautiful connection between like a granddaughter and a grandma. Especially when yeah. they live in a different country.
5: Honestly, and I think you're so right about that kind of phenomenon of not necessarily that it's a connection that skips a generation, but mm. that there can be these like almost these cultural things that you would expect certain older generations to adhere to, but actually, in whether that's because of old age or because of you know like life perspective, they can sometimes become far more adaptable yeah. <laughs> and more liberal minded than like people who are still kind of in the grind. Yeah. So I love that her grandma was like, do the music thing and like, just do whatever you want to do that that makes you happy. Completely. Also, they're not raising you day to day, so they've just got pure love to give grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) That is so so Uh, very true.
6: I also just love how grounded she is. The fact that like, you know, her manager is her friend. He's always there to like, keep it real. I thought that was like, really refreshing that she's had such a good time in the music industry. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I think that's super interesting and I just felt relieved when she said that because I think maybe it's the neighbourhood thing or because we've obviously both been watching her whole journey. It's nice to hear that, you know, there are people having a nice time out there. (laughs) Exactly. It's not all struggle. She seems like she's Mm. thriving and, you know, has got
6: like a good head on her shoulders.
5: Yeah. You know, the only thing I'm curious about is I still have questions about digital hoarding and like I need solutions because I'm scared that one day it's going to happen to me and I'm going to lose like something that's really important to me in terms of conversations on my phone or pictures. And I don't know how I can feel more secure in like finding ways to document these things that don't just rely on tech companies.
6: (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? And there's no answer yet. Whenever it happens to me, I kind of just end up forgetting it's happened if I get a new phone or if it's lost yeah. I'm like sad
5: for a day and then I'm like oh well <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that whole thing of journaling as well though isn't it because it's like if you don't have the things there you don't necessarily know that you're missing them but when you have them and then you lose them it's like you'll never be able to access them and your life will probably be fine without them but like you know it's tricky this has been an ii studios production
6: thank you so much for listening Did you know we have a new podcast out? It's called Reclaimed and Rewritten, a hard-hitting deep dive into the Tulsa massacres of 1921. It's available on all podcast streaming platforms now. You can also sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Galdem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more.
5: Make sure you're following us on all major social media – at Galdem Zine, for the latest independent news and culture. Don't
6: forget, if you loved this episode of Growing Up With Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode.
4: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50